Well, good morning. My name is Rick Hutton. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you this Memorial Day weekend. Um, if you've been here over the past several weeks, you may have noticed that we have different banners hanging up today than we have the past few weeks. We have moved from the white banners of Eastertide into the red and orange and gold banners of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost Sunday is June 9th, um, so two weeks from today. But we have put these up early because for the next three weeks, we are going to be looking at three incredible Old Testament passages that predict the coming of the Holy Spirit for every believer. The Holy Spirit's not just for the super spiritual people, it's for every person, not it, he is for every person who knows Jesus Christ. And so over these next few weeks, we're gonna be exploring how we can receive the Spirit and how we can experience the promise of the Spirit. And we're doing this more, or we're doing this now so that we can know the Holy Spirit more. We're doing this so that we can move more deeply into an experience of God's presence in our daily lives and in the ministry of our church. And so as we prepare to look at the scripture for today, will you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a living and active word. Lord God, we praise you and thank you for the fact that it is just as relevant today as it was when it was first written. And we ask now that you would pour your spirit out upon us. Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to hear what you want us to hear. That you would soften our hearts so that we would respond to your word with all of who we are. And Lord Jesus, I ask now too that you would please keep me out of your way. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hear God's word from Isaiah chapter 44, verses one through five. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. This is the word of the Lord. So I first went to Mexico in the summer of 1999. It was on a mission trip, and there were plenty of things on that trip that stood out to me without anybody having to point them out. Things like the poverty that people were living in. Uh, I had seen pictures of it, but until you see it firsthand, it, it's an entirely different experience. Uh, but that really stood out to me. Another thing that really stood out to me that nobody had to point out was the joy among the children of the, the local people that we encountered. They had so much less than what we had in the United States, but seemed to be overflowing with joy in ways that I had never seen before. This was something else that did not need to be pointed out to me. But one thing that was pointed out to me that has also stayed with me since that trip in 1999 was the difference of the appearance between the border on the San Diego side compared to the Tijuana side of the border crossing. The Tijuana side was very brown, very dusty, very desert-like. It was ruggedly beautiful. Whereas the San Diego side, it was still very desert-like, still very brown, still very dusty, 
But there were also a lot of green plants, green bushes, green trees, things that looked like they were flourishing. Now, we know that plants don't care about international borders. So what was it that caused the difference between the foliage on the San Diego side compared to the lack of it on the Tijuana side? And it was simply that there's irrigation in San Diego that was bringing water to near the border crossing, and so plants could flourish. It was a clear indication of where there is water, there is life, even in places where we wouldn't expect it to be or where it should normally be. Our scripture today brings this out. It paints a picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out like water on the people of God. And it shows how the Spirit brings life and flourishing to the people of God and to their future generations. And this is a promise that God is making to his people. He was making it then in the time that Isaiah was writing, but he's also making it for us today. It's a promise that has been fulfilled and is constantly being fulfilled as the Holy Spirit is continually at work around us and in us and through us. And so this morning as we look at this passage, I just want us to think about what the Holy Spirit does, where we tend to see the Holy Spirit working most clearly, and what this means for us in our day-to-day lives. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit works in a variety of ways. This is why we're, over the next three weeks, we're covering just three of the ways that the Holy Spirit works. But one very important work that the Holy Spirit does is that he takes the saving work of Jesus and applies it to all who believe. In other words, the Holy Spirit enables us to have faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, it's not because you recognized your own need for Jesus. You recognized your own sinfulness. It's because the Holy Spirit moved first, brought you to a realization of your need for Jesus, and led you to accept Jesus by the grace of God. This is the first part of the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise of comfort, the comfort of salvation, of being chosen by God, of belonging to God. And we see this in the passage as God calls Israel his servant and his chosen one. This shows us, this tells us that God has chosen these people. He moved first because of his great love for them. We see this even in that that strange name, Jeshurun, that he calls Israel. It means upright one. And truthfully, the Israelites were not living in any way that was upright, according to God. But he still called them that. And even that term, it's a term of endearment that God uses to describe his people. So he is lovingly saying to them, you are my upright ones. I am pouring out my spirit upon you, not because you've earned it, but because I have moved first, chosen you, because I love you. Now these verses, they sound upbeat and happy. There's a great promise for the people of God in these verses. But the Israelites, they were not living in a way that was in line with what God had desired for them. The reality was they were living in open rebellion against God. They had worshiped other gods. And because they had done that unrepentantly for generations, God sent them into exile. And so in exile, they had no home that they could call their own. They had no temple where if they had wanted to, they could have worshiped God. They had no land that would have defined them as a people at that time. And they certainly had nothing that would have caused them to be considered the people of God. Those who remembered the way things had been when they were in the right place with God, they wondered, God, where are you? 
They wondered if God still loved them. And those were legitimate concerns because of the way that they had been living, but God still made his promise to them. No matter their past behavior, no matter their current circumstances, God promised the blessing of the Spirit on them, and this brought them great comfort. God reminds them who they are, that they are his people, his chosen ones, and because that's who they are, they receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit, and there's great comfort in this blessing. But the comfort continues to the people of God. It's not just a promise made for them, those hearing this, but it's also for the future generations. To know, for the Israelites to know that their future generations would be part of the promise of God, that was something greater than we can even begin to grasp or imagine. Although we still do have a pretty good idea about the comfort we have when we know future generations will have Jesus as their Lord. I see that once a year at least, and I see it very clearly on, in November on our testimony night where the, our students who have gone through confirmation class get up before their peers, their mentors, friends, and their family and profess their faith in Jesus. For the parents who are there, and for everyone really, it brings great hope, it brings great joy, it brings great comfort knowing that their children have proclaimed Jesus as Lord and that their salvation is sure in him. And this is because of the promise of the Spirit that future generations will have faith in Jesus Christ, will be blessed by God. There are tears of joy in parents' eyes as they, as they hear their kids make the proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And that's not because they are sad, no, it's joy, like I said, joy in the comfort of knowing that their kids' eternal destinies are secure in Christ. The Holy Spirit enables that. The Holy Spirit brings that comfort of salvation. He brought it for the people of Israel. He brings it, brings it for us. But he also brings comfort for us when we're dealing with pain and struggling. Now, at the Good Friday service, I shared a little bit about Caroline and my struggle through infertility, which included a miscarriage as we were enduring that. It was here where I personally, and Caroline and I both personally experienced the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Shortly after coming back from the doctor, finding out that Caroline had gone through a miscarriage, I came to our Tuesday morning staff meeting and shared with our staff here what had happened, what we had gone through. And I remember very, very clearly people crying with me, them laying their hands on me, praying for me and praying for Caroline. God's presence was palpable in that moment. And it was because of the comfort of the Holy Spirit that we were able to continue through our journey to where we are today. God's presence was with us in a very dark and difficult time. If you've ever experienced something like that, comfort when others have prayed for you or someone, someone has spoken a word to you that's brought you comfort, or you've received it yourself when you've read scripture or prayed on your own, that is the Holy Spirit at work within you. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and that's why Jesus calls him that. He brings hope and comfort. And while that is true, the Holy Spirit also brings life and flourishing. Our passage is very clear about that. Isaiah uses great language to describe the life that the Holy Spirit brings. And he brings it in abundance. I mean, think about the word poured out. God's Spirit isn't being sprinkled 
on his people or drizzled on his people. It is being poured out upon his people in a generous and abundant fashion. And this is what Jesus is talking about in John 7, 37 and 38, as he talks about the spirit bringing life. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John explains this, that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit who brings this life, who brings this flourishing. And if you are a Christian, you have this water within you. The Holy Spirit is within you as an individual and he is at work within us as a community. And so this means hope and comfort, the flourishing of the Spirit in our community all around us because he, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling within you. Do you believe this? And if you do, what does that look like in your life? What is the manifestation of that? And if you're not a Christian, first, we're really glad that you're here today. I don't know why you're here. Perhaps you were forced here, dragged here, whatever it may be. I just would like you to think about why you are here. Perhaps it's so that the Holy Spirit can bring you to a place of experiencing his comfort and his hope and the life that he alone can bring. And our scripture describes dramatically the difference between desert and meadow as the spirit is poured out. It's an exceptional difference. It's an incredible before and after picture. Places that seemed dead have become alive. Areas of brokenness and dryness are healed and turned into places of fruitfulness. Where there was mourning, there will be joy. It's the change from death to life when God's spirit is poured out. And while the Holy Spirit is always working in the good times, we most often recognize the work of the spirit when we're in difficult times. We tend to see new life most often as we have gone through a desert place. And this is where we see the Holy Spirit at work. Now, all throughout scripture, we see the Bible talking about the desert being a place of shaping people and, and groups into new individuals, into new communities. Moses was in the desert for years before leading the people out of Egypt. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years before moving into the promised land. And even Jesus, he spent 40 days in the desert being tempted before he began his earthly ministry. God often uses the desert to shape people, but he never intends for them to stay there. And so as we go through deserts and as we come through deserts, we do so by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us and around us. And most of us have experienced desert places to varying degrees. Maybe some of them have been very short-lived. Maybe some of those places have lasted for really long periods of time. And maybe for others of us, we're in the midst of a desert right now. The good news is, is that the Holy Spirit will bring you through the desert to new life. It just may not be the new life that we were expecting it to be. Because our world is broken by sin, because you and I are broken by sin, all of us experience the lifelessness of the desert. And when we're in the desert, we thirst for something better than what we have now. We thirst for things that would bring us flourishing, that would bring us life, that would bring us comfort. And we see here in our scripture that God will provide that, but only God can provide that. But you and I, 
we often look to other things to quench that thirst. Now, a few weeks ago, I, along with 25,000 other people, participated in the Monument Avenue 10K. And like most of the people who ran that race, uh, the end is our favorite place. And not just because we're done with the 6.2 miles, but because at the end they hand out water bottles. And you can quench your thirst with a lovely bottle of water uh, to celebrate the completing of that, that race. But imagine instead, if instead of the water bottles, they gave out cups of sand. So you cross the line after the grueling race, you reach for that cup, you raise it up for that, to your mouth for that long desired thirst quenching drink and you get dust and sand and ash and you choke it down and you spit and you sputter. That would be a horrible experience and it would leave you more thirsty and worse off than you were before you began. When it comes to us looking for our own comfort, to our own flourishing in things other than God, they're gonna leave us like that cup of sand at the end of the 10K, spluttering, desiring more, and being worse off than we began. But like I said, all of us look to things other than God to satisfy our thirst, whether it's success or money or power or kids who are doing just what they're supposed to be doing. Even things as simple and silly sounding as likes or follows on our social media platforms, all of those things say that they will give us life and all of those things will be like drinking a cup of sand. They won't do the job. They'll leave us thirsty and longing for more. And if you feel like you're in a desert place right now, could it be because you are looking to something other than God to quench your thirst? But maybe that's not you, but you still feel like you're in a desert place. Maybe, maybe you believe right now that God's promise isn't for you because there's that habit that you can't seem to kick, that addiction that you can't break away from, that sin that constantly pops up over and over again even when you don't want it to. God's promise isn't for you, you think. But remember, the people in Isaiah 44, they were in open rebellion against God and his promise was for them. If it was for them, it's for you as well. God's spirit, the promise of his spirit is for you. And the apostle Paul reminds us of this in Philippians chapter one when he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God has begun a good work in you. It will reach completion as the Holy Spirit works in you and around you and even through you to make you more and more into the image of Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He will bring you to completion in Jesus. So we can feel like we're in a desert because we're looking to the wrong things to satisfy our thirst. We can feel like we're in the desert because we're stuck in behavior patterns that we can't seem to get out of. But we can also feel like we're in a desert simply because of the pain and suffering that happened to us because we live in a broken world. Many of us here are dealing with things like that. The loss of loved ones, an illness, a job loss, conflict in our family, broken marriages, whatever it might be, the list can go on and on and on. And it's easy to be discouraged. It's understandable that we get discouraged in the midst of deserts like that. We wonder when the pain and suffering will ever end. We even wonder where God is in those moments. But know this, 
The Holy Spirit is still at work, even when we have pain and suffering. Sometimes we just don't see the Holy Spirit working right away. It took me and Caroline a while to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit as we traveled through the journey of infertility. But as we looked back, we saw how he did work at different points in our story, how he worked through different people and in different ways. He was there even when we didn't have an immediate sense of him. The Holy Spirit is always at work in good times as well as the hard times. And we can trust this because God keeps his promises. We can also trust this because Jesus went through the ultimate desert in our place. When he took on our sin on the cross, when he was abandoned by God, he suffered the suffering we deserve to so that we would be the people of God who receive abundantly the promise of the Spirit. And because he did this, we can say with the people in verse five, we belong to the Lord. We trust his promise. We know that the Spirit will bring us comfort and life because of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now this is true, this is good news, but what does it mean for us as we leave this place today as we go home, as we go back to work, as we go to school, wherever we may be. What does this look like every day? How can we live into the promise of the Spirit? Well, I have some suggestions. It's by no means an exhaustive list, but here's, here's where I'd like us to begin. Recognize that if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is within you. We may not seem to think he is. We may not see him working. I would say, though, that the Holy Spirit often, and, and very rarely works in spectacular ways. He often works in very quiet ways and very subtle ways. And because we are living in a society that likes the flash and bang and bigness of things, it's easy for us to miss the quiet, subtle work of the Spirit. But he is there. Recognize that he is within you. Having that knowledge and understanding is a good place to start. Another way for us to take hold of the promise of the Spirit is to recognize the things we look to to quench our thirst other than God. When we recognize those things, it's first and foremost because the Holy Spirit has enabled us to, but it's also a place where then we can turn away from those things as thirst quenchers and look to God alone as the one who will bring life and flourishing to us. And no matter where you are, whether you're just thirsty or you feel like you are in the middle of the largest desert you've ever encountered. We can begin to see the work of the Spirit in us by being involved in Christian community. It was in community where people spoke words of comfort to me and to Caroline. It's in community where people will speak words of challenge and encouragement and comfort to you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in them and through them for your life. Also, it's in community where you can use the gifts of the Spirit that you have, where you can use life-giving words for others, or you can simply be present for those who need you there when they're in need or in pain. That's the Holy Spirit working through you. Another way to recognize the Holy Spirit is to remember the difficult times that you've been through. As you look back on the hard times in life, it's easier to see the work of the Spirit. The fact that you made it through the difficult times is testimony to his work in your life. And then finally, the last suggestion I'll make is what I would consider a Sunday school answer. It's simply pray 
and read the Bible. This is the way that we can know the work of the Spirit in our lives as we spend time in communion with God, as we read the scriptures, as we memorize verses and passages, we'll hear the words of truth and comfort and life from God. And the Holy Spirit will bring those things to mind at just the right time. These are some of the ways that we can live in step with the Spirit every day to live into this promise that God has made for us. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work at all times and in all places, and we most clearly see his work in the midst of desert places. We've all experienced those places and times, whether we're looking for other things to satisfy or because of pain and suffering, but no matter what, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's alive and active right here, right now. He brings words of life and comfort to God's people, to you and to me. And so in response to this, what I'd like for us to do is that after I pray, I'd like for you to take time to write down on a piece of paper, on your bulletin, on something that you can take with you, an area of your life where you feel that you need the Holy Spirit to bring life, to bring comfort. Or you could also join us in our courtyard. Perhaps you saw the display out there already, but you can participate in the interactive installation of origami doves and flames that have been made by some of our Club 56 students, our fifth and sixth graders here. You can come and fold a dove or curl a flame and add it to the installation as a representation of the Spirit's presence in your life and in our church family's life. The Holy Spirit is at work. Where do you see him working? And where do you see the need for his work in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your spirit within us. And Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for sending your spirit upon us. Holy Spirit, we ask now that you would enlighten us to see where we need your work the most in our lives and that you would give us the strength and courage and ability to do what we need to do so that we would have flourishing lives in line with what you, Lord God, desire. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon us so that we may glorify and honor you in all that we say and do. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.